0: This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allantempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Our scripture that was previously read came from the book of Genesis, the second chapter, and the reading was from the 15th through the 17th verses. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. I have three challenging questions that I will ask of this text, which will form the basis for today's message. The first challenging question I have is this. Why is it that the very thing that we are forbidden to do is the very thing we choose to do? Why is it that the very thing that we are forbidden to do is the very thing that we choose to do? For some reason, there is a part of us that no matter how much we are told to stay away from something, somehow we override that prohibition and pursue it anyway. Well, well. Let me give you a personal example. When I was about seven years old or so, my younger brother being about six, we were living in Jamaica at the time, I recall one of my uncles who, having gone to the country, brought back to the house over a dozen Bombay mangoes. If you know anything about Bombay mangoes in Jamaica, they are probably the most delicious and juiciest mangoes you could find anywhere. Right, Aunt Bev? In fact, they were so succulent that if you cut one side of the mango, you can eat the juicy part out with a spoon. Mm. They were my dad's favorite mangoes, and we were only too delighted when our uncle came from the country and brought back so many for us. Well, and this is very true, our parents had the mangoes in the refrigerator, and we were told not to touch any of them. In fact, there was a rule in our house, and it's that we were not permitted to open the refrigerator for anything without permission. But our parents had gone out, and it was just my brother and I home alone, Mm. with over a dozen Bombay mangoes in the refrigerator getting cold that we were not to touch. Mm. In fact, the longer they stayed in the refrigerator, the colder and more refreshing those juicy Bombay mangoes would become. I'm going somewhere. Then all of a sudden, I had a brilliant idea. Uh I would go into the refrigerator, strike one, take out one of the mangoes, strike two, sink my teeth into it being careful not to bite too hard, and then simply suck out some of that cold, sweet mango juice strike three. Now after I had done that, I noticed that when you look at the mango, it looked like nothing had happened. And I was very surprised. So I put the mango back in the refrigerator. But as time went on, I felt an urge for more. So in my brilliance, instead of biting into the same mango as before, I decided to pick a different one. This was such a good plan, good plan, that I had to let my brother in on the secret. And by the time we were satisfied, we had bitten into all of the mangoes and forgot which one we had already juiced. Mm. Later that evening, when our parents came home, my dad was yearning for a nice, cold, juicy Bombay mango. And when he opened the refrigerator, lo and behold, he was so shocked at what he had seen that he called my mom, my brother, and myself to show us what he saw. Every single mango in the refrigerator had a dark outline showing teeth marks. When the mangoes were initially bit, there was nothing to see. But after staying in the refrigerator for a while, the teeth imprints began to show, and we were all mortified. Here's the best part. My dad made me and my brother sit and eat every single mango in the refrigerator that we had bitten. Initially, we thought this was the best possible punishment you could ever get until we got about to the sixth mango each. And we ate them all and felt sick. And after that, we got a whooping. We were explicitly told not to go to the refrigerator without permission. We were explicitly told not to take anything out of the refrigerator. And we were explicitly told not to eat any of the mangoes. But we did anyway. Not only did I see, touch, and eat the mango, I also brought my brother into the deal as well. So, the second challenging question that needs to be asked this morning is this Do the consequences of our actions serve as a deterrent or as an invitation? For somehow the consequences did not matter so much to us for in the case of the sweet juicy Bombay mangoes and I'm telling you brothers and sisters I still can taste it today. We took because we saw. We took because we desired. We took because we had opportunity. And we took because we could. Finally, The third challenging question of the day is this. What forbidden fruit are you taking because you can? These three questions. Why is it that the very thing that we are forbidden to do is the very thing that we choose to do? Number two, do the consequences of our actions serve as a deterrent or as an invitation? And number three, what forbidden fruit are you taking because you can? These three questions form the basis for, and framework for today's message, which in the context of the scripture that I've just read from Genesis, I want to talk about cause and effect in a message I have elected to title this morning, Surely You Will. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you now for the preaching hour. I pray, Lord, that... The ground of our hearts have now been tilled and uprooted to the point where you can now plant your word deep into the heart of your people. Let it be, Father, that what I have prepared be delivered in a manner that is pleasing to thy sight, but that it meets the need of your people in this generation today. Help us, Lord, and help your preacher. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's revisit the text one more time. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat. I think there were mango trees. (laughs) But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. A cursory reading of the text would indicate to us that God gave man very specific instructions with very specific consequences. Now, the challenge comes in what I call the five observable conditions. Number one, it was God that put the man in the garden, the environment. It was God that ordained the man to cultivate the garden, the purpose. It was God that said man could eat from any tree in the garden, access. It was God that said the man should not eat from a specific tree, the prohibition. And finally, five, it was God that told the man what would happen if he ate from that tree, the consequence. So the environment, the purpose, the access, the prohibition, and the consequence all form the basis that sets the groundwork, hear me church, for man to be successful according to God's standard, yet it was not enough to keep him from disobeying. In a similar way, it was our parents that left me and my brother in the home alone, the environment. It was our parents that put mangoes in the refrigerator to eat later, the purpose. It was our parents that left the refrigerator door unlocked, the access. It was our parents that said we should not touch the mangoes, the prohibition. And it was our parents that would take disciplinary action if we disobeyed the consequence. All of these conditions create an opportunity to either glorify God in obedience or glorify Satan in disobedience. But somehow, knowing all of this was not enough to keep us from disobeying. So what's going on here, pastor? For nothing has changed in all of humanity since Adam and Eve first ate of that forbidden fruit. What was going on with them and what is still going on with us today? To answer that, let's talk about what's called the principle of causation in order to get to the root of the issue. And I hope you all are walking with me. The principle of causation, in essence, deals with the nature of cause and effect. What I mean is that whatever we see happening all around us, something happened that caused that to be happening, and something initiated what we're seeing around us today. Everything we see, right? Everything we see is, was initiated by some kind of cause. Simply put, cause is an action, and the result of that cause is a reaction we called an effect as an example you may be familiar with the biblical quote you reap what you sow. sow the things you do are like planting seeds those seeds then become a crop which is the result or the effect of you planting those seeds your action sowing good or bad seeds produces a reaction which is either a healthy Or a rotten harvest. So, in other words, the principle of causation is if you do this, whatever this is, that will happen. Just quite simply. But what we need to be clear about when we are talking about the principle of causation is that a cause is why something happens, whereas an effect is what happened. Did you see that? A cause is why something happens, but the effect is what happened. And when we talk about what happened, we are really talking about outcomes based on consequences, which opens a door for me to begin talking about the second of our three challenging questions. Recall the second challenging question. Do the consequences of our actions serve as a deterrent or as an invitation? It is important to understand, brothers and sisters, that consequences are not deterrents. They are effects. And if consequences are effects, then telling people about the consequences of their actions will never be enough to stop someone from doing what they have set in their hearts and their minds to do what we see happening with most people that may obey or fall in line is not that the consequences were a deterrent, but instead it was the fear of the consequence that was really the deterrent. Mm. I hope you didn't miss that. Mm -hmm. The fear of the consequences speak to a larger issue which has to do more with what the person values that they now run the risk of possibly losing here's what I mean. If I'm afraid of dying because someone holds me at gunpoint and threatens to take my wallet, I will gladly give it to him. But if that same gunman threatens to harm my family, I will gladly risk my own life to save my family's. Do you see the difference? The fear of death in both instances were exactly the same. I was still afraid to die. However, however, that same fear was overridden by my own will because the consequences was tied to how I valued my family. So the answer to the question, do the consequences of our actions serve as a deterrent or as an invitation, is that consequences are not deterrents, but they instead are invitations to understanding what a person values. Now, going back to the Garden of Eden, when God said to Adam, in the day that you eat from that specific tree, you will surely die, was not about God deterring Adam from taking the fruit, because it didn't work. It was about God giving Adam... An opportunity to exercise his will according to what Adam valued. Think about it this way. Where in the Bible do we hear that Adam, who all he knew was the goodness of God, going around naming all kinds of animals and caring for the garden, would have any idea about what consequences are? Where in the Bible would Adam have even learned what death is? didn't know. For the truth is, God could easily have said to Adam, Adam, in the day that you eat from that specific tree, you will surely fly. God could have said, Adam, in the day that you eat from that specific tree, you will grow 10 feet tall. Adam, in the day that you eat from that specific tree, you will surely, you fill in the blanks, whatever. It really makes no difference what the consequences of Adam's actions would be outcome would still be the same, which is disobedience to God's word. The fact that Adam did exactly what God told him not to do was worse than the consequence because Adam showed that he valued his own choices and desires over God's and he used his own free will to do it. Hard work. So consequences are not deterrents, but are instead invitation to understanding what a person truly values. And Adam valued his own desire more than God because his fear of God was far less than his fear of the consequences. Are you hearing me church? If you don't do something it's not necessarily because you don't want to. It is because you see something that is going against your character. Hmm. Secondly, let's talk about consequences of behavior. So we see that the fear of consequence, one way or another, exposes a person's values, which triggers their will. Let's now talk about the next challenging question, which was, why is it that the very thing that we are forbidden to do is the very thing we choose to do? The question triggers the issue of consequences that are tied to a person's behavior. Revisiting the case of me and my brother with the mangoes, I established the fact that we were explicitly told not to go to the refrigerator without permission. We were explicitly told not to take anything out of the refrigerator, and we were explicitly told not to eat any of the mangoes. By being told what we were not to do was in essence a technique that was used to try and regulate or modify our behavior. But it didn't work we still ate the mangoes. And in simple terms, we still ate the mangoes. Why? Because we wanted to. (laughs) This is, again, an act of the human will. And if the human will is the cause, then the behavior is only the effect. And if we focus on the effect or the behavior, we fall into the trap of dealing with symptoms and not root causes. The human will is the preeminent cause in human affairs, and it relates to a person's character. Watch this. If people had the character not to lie and steal, billions of dollars of fraud and the trauma of countless victims would disappear. If people had the character to be faithful to their spouses, divorce and the heartache and compounded problems it brings would stop. If people had the character to forgive and work out disputes fairly, war would soon become a distant memory. But ever since that episode in the Garden with Adam and Eve, for human beings walking this earth, all of these character wishes are really pipe dreams. So behavior is not the problem. The human will, corrupted by sin, is. And try as you might, You cannot override another person's will, no matter how much you or I try. We are so preoccupied with behaviors that we miss the root. Sin is the root, and the church has become powerless to help because we can't see past our own root issues. And as we deny our own root issues, the consequences of that choice is that we deny the roots of the world and everyone in it as well. Brothers and sisters, let me make it plain. Sin is the cause. Sin is the issue. Sin is the problem. Sin is the root. The problem is not gay, lesbian, straight, rich, poor, poverty, sickness, disease, sarcasm, cynicism, racism, xenophobia, homophobia, anger, envy, jealousy. The problem is sin and the church is the only institution that has been ordained, authorized, empowered, and equipped to deal with it. And we are failing because we've chosen to listen to the world and what it thinks instead of the God who knows. So the answer to the question, why is it that the very thing that we are forbidden to do is the very thing we choose to do is because of the presence of sin in our lives? My goodness, church, when is the church going to own it, talk about it? We don't preach about it anymore because we spend so much time trying to entertain people and let people believe that they are okay. You are not okay. We are not okay. And unless God does something about sin in our lives, you're going to keep doing things over and over and over and over again because you're not dealing with the real root issue. Well. I can't change your will. I can't make you do anything that you have not made up in your mind to do. But what I can do is tell you why. Why? And if you believe me, then you are open to my suggestion about how you can deal with it. So, again, returning to the text, this is what we read. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. The critical word in this text comes when God says surely. The word surely is to be understood as one, it is going to happen. Which has a future premise. Two, with assurance and confidence, which has a past premise. And the word surely means without a doubt, which has a present premise. Surely is used to emphasize a speaker's firm belief that what they are saying is true, and often it shows even their surprise that there is any doubt in what they are telling you. It is also used when the speaker is trying to persuade you about something. So when God said, surely, he was declaring to Adam that the full exercise of Adam's own free will would reverberate in such a way that the consequences of his one choice would produce an outcome that is guaranteed to cause harm. The impact, now now church, I want you to hear me clearly in your spirits. The impact of that one decision would be so devastating that not only would Adam die, but that God himself would also have to die. Mm. Think about what I just said. The impact. God said, in the day you eat, you shall surely die. God says, wait a second, Adam, if you do this, Not only will you die, but I will also have to die. If Adam exercised his free will and ate from that forbidden fruit, my brothers and sisters, I don't want you to miss it. If Adam ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God knew that the effect would be the inauguration of sin into his good Creation and that the ultimate outcome of that one decision of Adam would cost his only begotten Son. If Adam exercised his free will and ate from that forbidden tree, sin and death would gain power. And without a doubt, and with assurance and confidence, Jesus was going to have to die surely. But there is good news. Amen. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> but there is good news. Yeah. Now, I hope you're all following me because this is amazing. I tell you, you don't even, you can't even begin, we can't even begin to understand the wisdom of God. Look at how good God is. You see, before I tell you this, the good news, I want you to understand something. My wife says this often, and we all say this in the church, but I don't know that we really kind of get it. God says, all things work together for the good. Did he say that? All things work together for the good. Adam, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you eat it, you should surely die. But all things work together for the, the good. And, and God doesn't go against his own principles. Remember the principles of causation, cause and effect? So, so God was like figuring this out because he's God. So here's the good news, brothers and sisters. (laughs) If the principles of causation is that there is cause and there is effect, (laughs) if it works in one direction, it got to work in another direction as well. (laughs) I don't know if you got it yet. For just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and if the many died by the trespasses of one man, how much more would God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person. But God demonstrates his own love For us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So yes, yes, in the day that Adam ate the forbidden fruit, he would surely die. But, but in the day we believe in the cause of Christ, then we shall surely live. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but surely, surely, surely have everlasting life. Because of cause and effect, man's free will enabled sin to enter the world. But because of cause and effect, Christ's free will to die on an old rugged cross cause life to enter into the believer. But there's another but. But you you must make a choice exercising your own free will to just believe. So the last challenging question What forbidden fruit are you taking because you can? What forbidden fruit are you taking because you can? Most of us, all we know is the good we experience in the world, and that good, which is really no good at all, can be compared to the goodness of God. For, hear me church, for unless your desire for the goodness of God overrides your forbidden desires, then you will never have the strength to exercise your own free will against temptation. Your desire for the goodness of God can only come when you taste and see that the Lord is good. (laughs) Unless you drink from the fountain which brings forth streams of living water, you will never know how wonderful the gift of God is. (laughs) But but, but the choice is yours and of your own. Say church free will and if you can and if you can just use your free will to, <laughs> to just believe surely you will receive the gift of life through faith in Jesus Christ by his grace brothers and sisters I assure you and this is a play on words surely You will. May the Lord richly bless you, my beloved.